0: This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs.
1: I am Sam Knight.
0: We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, which means we're joined by Chip Gibbons for Chip Chat. Hey, Chip. Hello. We uh, are going to be diving into uh, a really important topic here in just a second on uh, extrajudicial killings. Um, but first, Chip, did you want to weigh in on Tubingate at all while uh, no. it's still fresh?
2: <laughs> <Two bunches laughs> no. no, you no. do not.
0: You do not. No. Okay. Fair enough. Fair
2: I will enough. weigh in that uh, other news story, the uh, restoration of democracy in Bolivia was, was quite exciting. And I wish our uh, corporate media had the same enthusiasm for that story as they did for that other one.
0: This is weird, Chip, because I was told by corporate media that democracy had already been restored when Morales was ousted in a coup. Um, so yes. how could democracy be restored again with Morales' party now in charge?
2: Y- you know, you know, the American press, when it co- I mean, American press is bad on a lot of issues, but I mean, there's usually some reasonable rational relationship to reality, but when it comes to their reporting on Latin America, they have about as much veracity as like Infowars does on you know day-to-day topics. So yes, there was no military coup. democracy was restored. Evo Morales left of his own accord. But of course, of course, in the interim, uh, you know new york times washington post both ran stories about how basically the oas organization of american states uh claims of voter fraud were not were not not reliable uh you know months after they reported them as fact so uh it's always a fun ride with with the american press when it comes to latin america
0: yeah yeah well, uh, we got chipped away in on that. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get him to take the bait on Tubingate, but uh, maybe next week. In the meantime, let's talk about the president who has been for weeks now bragging about uh, retribution in terms of the killing of Michael Reinhold. This happened, uh, I guess, last month now. Um, Reinhold.
2: I'm not eating anymore. What's that? time has no meaning anymore it's it's tough to keep i mean it's still early march right it's coming up
0: yeah yeah it's still early march i'm sure the next few months are going to be terrific um so uh reinhold was suspected of killing this uh far right patriot prayer member during um a day of, of pretty violent protests by the far right in the city of Portland, Oregon, where they had these caravans going through and they were spraying people with mace and hitting them with paintballs. Um, at the end of all that, there was a confrontation and this, this Patriot Prayer member was killed. Reinhold was suspected of that and then actually did an interview with Vice where uh, he admitted to, um, to, to killing um, as an act of self-defense. And yeah. then uh, right after that interview airs, uh, federal authorities come in and murk this dude. Um, and Trump since then has been talking about how great it was. Um, but by all accounts, it looks like an extrajudicial killing, doesn't it, Chip?
2: It's a really weird story from start to finish. There's just a lot of unusual elements to it. It's I think it's important not to be too far off in the speculation, but... Uh... There's certainly a number of of questions. Uh, the fact that Trump and the attorney general keep praising, you know, regardless of what had happened, right, for the president and the attorney general to get so psyched up about police officers, including federal officers, just shooting someone who has not been convicted of a crime, someone who's wanted for a crime but not convicted, is pretty, pretty disturbing. Um... And of course, Trump has tried to take credit for the killing. You know, he, he about an hour before they killed this gentleman, Trump was tweeting about why hadn't he been arrested. And Trump has, you know, claimed he sent the marshals, which the marshals deny. Uh, uh, he was killed by a, a U.S. marshal federal task force that was made up of both federal and local law enforcement. A lot of um, federal task force like that exists where they're overseen by a particular federal agency but they're staffed with members of other federal agencies and and local police uh, um and then you know the comments last week that they didn't want to arrest him which you know there's 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 two ways to interpret that uh one is the charitable way to trump which is to think that perhaps he meant Local authorities didn't want to arrest him, so he sent in federal police, which is, I believe, how defenders of that comment are defending it. And then the other interpretation is that, um, you know, the U.S. Marshall Task Force didn't want to arrest him, which would give rise to the idea that this was an extrajudicial killing you know, I think most people have latched onto that interpretation and it says a lot about the lack of confidence, rightfully so, lack of confidence in, in federal law enforcement to deal with people who are perceived as enemies of, of Donald Trump, as well as just sort of Donald Trump's sort of ghoulish authoritarianism and celebratory nature he takes towards police violence. Uh, and then the other big story was last Tuesday, the New York Times released a really fascinating investigation into the shooting where they interviewed 21 different witnesses to the investigation, to the shooting. And, you know, the picture emerges that the law enforcement didn't announce themselves. They, you know, obviously claimed they were acting in self-defense and claimed the guy had a gun. But from the witness statements, it doesn't look like the police announced who they were. It doesn't look like this guy was brandishing the gun or anything like that. It looks like they just jumped out of cars and and shot him. And, you know, one of the people who witnessed it at first thought it was some sort of, like, gangland hit pertaining to, like, drug trafficking. Because that's that's what it looked like, like people jumping out of a car and shooting someone 30 times. So there's really a lot of questions here. I know one of the local police departments is investigating the matter. I don't think that's really a sufficient investigation. I think you need something on the federal level that, you know— looks into not just what happened on the scene, which is, you know, obviously the most important question, but what what role political pressure played in producing that outcome? A Congress perhaps should do something, maybe a special prosecutor. I, I don't quite know what the best mechanism for this investigation would be, but I mean, we really need answers here. Unfortunately, you know, law enforcement investigating itself has never, never given us very good answers to anything.
1: I, uh, myself, went searching for some answers by trying to file a FOIA with the FBI for uh, a Reinholds file. And uh, they wrote back saying that they had material they were withholding. Ah, uh, because it was part of a law enforcement investigation, which uh, makes you think that rather than this uh, whole issue moving toward accountability for this extrajudicial killing, that more people are at risk of being extra ju- ju- extrajudicially killed.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at the response you got. It's it's interesting because they do acknowledge they have material but it's part of an investigative file, which I guess, I guess it isn't terribly surprising Though I don't know what the investigation would be into since, you know, Reinhold is dead. He's no longer the subject of an active criminal investigation. Yeah, Perhaps they're investigating the marshals. I I don't, that seems unlikely, but- (laughs) Probably
1: investigating someone he knew from, you know, whatever crew he would run with at these protests.
2: Maybe. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Maybe it's iris- it's probably irresponsible of me to speculate like this, but
2: I would I would love to see what the FBI had here. Obviously you would too you filed the FOIA request. I mean, I I just I just have a lot of lot of questions. Well,
0: what, I mean, what would what would it mean if the FBI was investigating this?
2: I mean, he was accused of a high-profile crime that you know garner media attention. I'm sure the FBI, it seems possible the FBI could have assisted local law enforcement or possibly considered federal charges. I don't know what kind of federal charges they, they could have, you know, considered perhaps I mean there was the incident where, you know, the counter-protesters were stabbed by the traditionalist workers' party in Sacramento and the FBI considered investigating them for violating the civil rights of the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, perhaps they were but like in, in the Trump administration, right, you have all these claims that like anti-fascists are depriving people of, of their of their rights. It would not be impossible to imagine the FBI toyed with or pursued that idea. Or more likely they were investigating assisting local law enforcement or there was a federal task force involved. They could have aided that perhaps they are been asked to investigate something with the shooting. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a number of routes you, you, you can go. I, I think you have to be responsible about, about speculating. I would say it's not unsurprising that files would exist on this person, given the high profile nature of this crime given the fact that it is sort of an ongoing law enforcement matter i'm not necessarily and the fbi like secrecy i'm not terribly surprised they gave the response they did beyond that you know you'd, you'd have to see what was in the files to to render a judgment about them
0: Do you you think do you think Trump knows what what happened here? I mean, he's been going around. He's been going around thinking that they just killed this dude and that that is a good thing.
2: Trump thinks they read his tweet and because he's an awesome president, they went out and killed him, which is an awesome thing to do. Uh, Whether or not Trump actually knows anything is a different question. I mean, would anyone tell Trump anything? And and if, you know, they sent him a briefing on it or something, would he listen or pay attention to it? Right. I mean, Trump is sort of a not terribly bright person. Um, I mean it, it's also possibly that in running his mouth he's giving us more truth than, you know, people who know what's what happened are are giving. But I I don't I I don't ever assume that Donald Trump knows anything. Was a different um, president or a different official? You know, Barr. I assume Barr knows something, right? If this was, if there was political pressure from the top to do this, it almost certainly came from Barr, not Trump, right? Barr is an actually competent person who has a long-term history in the in intelligence and in law enforcement and, and sort of, you know, making the uh, machinery of the executive work in a, in a repressive manner, I mean, as usual, I'm, I'm more concerned with Barr than I am with Trump when it comes to, to competency. When it comes to incompetency, I am greatly concerned about Donald Trump. But
1: And we've seen the intense focus that Barr and uh, DHS acting secretary Chad Wolf have put on Portland, Oregon, and that whole area in general. So. I mean, again, I don't want to speculate. And if the FBI wanted me to stop speculating, they could simply just release these files to me. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not wild to hypothesize that Barr took a, in, an intense personal interest in the outcome of this because yes. of the intense personal interest. He has paid attention to what's been going on in Portland itself.
2: I mean it's a high profile story that can be manipulated to fit into the narrative that Barr and Trump are spinning about like out of control anarchist in Portland picking on picking on the right I mean you know that you can you can spin this one in a particular way that if it doesn't fall apart would potentially be advantageous to to Barr or Trump, or at least in line with, with the narrative they're trying to to foster. So I would be very surprised if Barr was not paying very close attention to what was going on. I mean, there was a federal marshal task force in, involved. I know it was like the Dangerous Fugitive Task Force or not. And I, I know he had crossed state lines. He was in Washington but I would be very surprised if there was not some sort of high level pressure to include federal forces in this pursuit.
1: Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Portland is relatively close to the state of Washington. And, you know, I I imagine that law enforcement in the Portland area have needed to apprehend, uh, suspects in Washington, just like, um, you know, how it is around here with Maryland and Virginia. Um, but I, yeah, I mean,
2: mean, how many
1: times does it involve, you know, a a task force and a task force that is just, you know, has no rules of engagement whatsoever, it seems.
2: Yeah. I, I would love to know how, often the U.S. Marshal, whatever it was called, dangerous fugitive, fugitive apprehension task. I guess it is a task force dedicated to apprehending people who are fugitives. It's the, you know, someone accused of a crime in Oregon going to Washington would in theory be within their jurisdiction, but I wonder how many, like, minor crimes or even major crimes occur where the federal marshals get involved with someone going from Oregon to Washington. But I don't, I don't know, and how do they know he was in Washington, right? Who was pursuing him before that point? Hmm. Was it Portland police? Was it federal police? Who was the one who located him? Who tracked him down? What information did they have?
1: I think the New York Times article, if I'm not mistaken, said that it was a, uh, a, a, one of the Portland police's uh, informants that <clears throat> that told cops in general where he where they thought he was.
2: I'd love to know how many informants the Portland police have that are in, you know, anti fascist circles and what they're doing. Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 I. Yes. That was. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine it's a lot too. I mean, that's a whole other angle here. I mean. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a disturbing story. We, we, we don't know a lot. We should know more. I mean, I know that's an unsatisfying thing to say. I'm sure people are wishing I would, you know, come up with like some sort of theory as to what happened, but it's just really disturbing what we know, right? And There was the FBI incident where they went to question one of the friends of the Boston bombers and they ended up shooting him under really suspicious circumstances. So this is not an uncommon occurrence with federal law enforcement or any law enforcement, really. But um, a task force driving up on a guy and shooting him 30 times, that sounds really bad. It It does not sound like they were coming to take him alive.
0: Certainly does not. Uh, Chip Gibbons, journalist. He's also the policy director over at Defending Rights and Dissent. An excellent organization, although he is not speaking on their behalf when he appears on our show. And he's also the host of the... I'm going to say it. I don't care. Hit podcast, Still Spying.
2: Thank you and uh, last like 10 times I've been on I've been saying we're going to have an episode soon about the FBI and the Ku Klux Klan and as of October 20th that episode has been published you can find it on stillspying.org or Spotify or or iTunes wherever you find fine podcast it's a pretty compelling episode. Uh, The FBI had an informant within the Ku Klux Klan who engaged in acts of violence while he was on the FBI payroll. It's a disturbing
0: story. There you have it. And that's available on all the podcast streaming platforms. Chip, thanks so much for doing this. Let's do it again next week.
2: Talk to you next week.